Can we give it up for the band that leads us in two services? Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, verse 1. We're going to finish out our series today on the one. Can you say the one? We believe that each person is valuable and significant to Jesus. We never want to become a church that's so big that we don't care about the one. I remember when my wife and I started this church six years ago in our home on Addison there, and we began to meet with a few people. Some of those same people that met in that home Bible study are a part of this church. And I remember when we started to grow and we had to get another facility, you know, people said, well, I hope they don't lose that feeling of, of them caring for us and loving. And then we moved to another facility, and now this is about our fourth facility in our growth track, and it's exciting. Can you just look at your neighbor and go, it's exciting. Come on, it is exciting. But you know what? I want you to hear my heart today. My heart as a pastor is not just to say I care about filling empty seats. It's to say I care about you, the people who have made this journey possible. Because unless we have you here, we can't go on. But I want you to hear my heart today when I say this. If we don't fill, fill these empty seats, we're missing what God called us to do. They say in church growth that a church stops growing when the people who have already been saved say, oh, we've made it, let's relax. And they begin to develop the mentality of us four and no more. They say at that moment a church begins to die because it doesn't reach out to the community anymore. It doesn't touch the young people's lives. And I would say in this church, if that ever happens, I give you permission to take away the mic, take a few steps back, and pimp slap me across the face. Look at your neighbor and say, yes, he did. I gave you permission even to backhand me, pimp slap the pastor. Because we believe in winning lost people. Luke chapter 15 has been the series for this month preparing us for Easter. Because Jesus' heart was always about the one. Look at it in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. I always want there to be sinners around to hear what Jesus has to say. We're not going to embarrass you and be like any sinners in the house today. But we know that you're here and we love you. And though you might feel out of place because you smell like smoke because you were smoking in the car or you might feel a little nervous because you got cussed out by your husband or wife on the way listen Jesus welcomes sinners and so do we like two people said amen I'm going to say it again Jesus welcomes sinners and so do we and I want to tell you we were all sinners at one time too how many of you were a real sinner raise up your hand now look around to those that ain't raising their hand. They're the worst kind of sinners. We call them hypocrites. Well, they the worst kind because they don't think they were that bad. They were, they were one of the good sinners. Let me tell you something. There ain't no good sinner. We're all sinners. And the Bible says that they were coming around to hear what Jesus had to say. Now look at verse 2. The Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know what? Jesus will always welcome a sinner, but you know what? He loves you too much to have you stay that way. You'll come a sinner and leave a saint. Can you say amen? I believe in a gospel that transforms, rearranges your life. You might have came in busted and disgusted, tore up from the floor up, needing a neck up from the checkup, but a checkup from the neck up, but you're going to leave out of here saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. Look at your neighbor and go, fuego. Jesus welcomed sinners, but he loved them too much to let them stay that way. He was about saving sinners. Somebody might say, well, pastors, nobody's perfect, and we can sin because we can just be forgiven. That is a devil's lie. That's like me walking up to my wife going, honey, nobody's perfect. I'm going to cheat on you, and you just be loving and forgive me. How many know that would only work about one time until she found the shotgun? Amen? You're going to do that? Okay, let's take that. Some of y'all don't think cute little Nancy would do that, but yes, she would. There's other things she's threatened to do, but I can't mention them in church because we got young people. But it gets real serious. Let me tell you like that. Ouch. Okay. 
Then Jesus told them this parable, so he wants them to understand. Hey, guys, you're complaining because I'm around sinners, but listen to this parable. Get the point. Understand my heart. Here's what he says. Suppose one of you has a 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? So he's talking to agricultural people. Sheep meant a lot to them. It would be like you having three cars, you lose one. You're upset about it. This is not okay. He says if there's a shepherd and he's counting down the sheep, 96, 97, 98, 99, where's the 100? He says, man, you all know this, you're shepherds. Don't you go out and look for it? Go out there into the valleys. Go out there into the different places of the country. And then once you find it, he says, what do you do? You throw it up on your shoulder. Go to your friends, slap high fives, and you say, man, I found my sheep. It's good. I got back my five Gs because that's probably what it was worth, about five to $10,000 in their economy, a, a sheep. You understand? That's about two months' wages. They said, man, I found it. I'm happy. Now look what Jesus says. He says in verse 5, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts his on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost seat. Verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner. Somebody say one sinner. One sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. There's a Holy Ghost party going on in heaven when sinners get saved. And you know the thing about a Holy Ghost party? Holy Ghost party don't stop. There ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't. That's right. We're doing that in church right here one more time. There ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't. If you don't get excited about church and you only get excited about a Cubs game, you got something wrong up in you. Come on. You know if they hit a home run. Ah, they hit a home run. There ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party. Come on. Come on, somebody. Will you give Jesus half what you give your sports team? One more time. Ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't. Amen. We are here to start a Holy Ghost party. We're here to start a party. Why? Because we want people to get saved. We want people to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to see one sinner, even in this service today, who doesn't know the Lord get saved. And the Bible says heaven erupts. And it should be that exciting to us here today. And that's what we've been talking about this month is winning the one. Who is the one? The one is a person you know who needs Jesus. The exciting thing about this church is that we hear stories every week, sometimes daily, of people getting saved and giving their heart to the Lord. Would you give it up for my man Tito and Abraham? Wave their hands and give it up. Clap for them. You're going to want to do that as you hear this. I was hearing their story last week, about a month ago. Chris, uh, let me back up and say this. My wife and I used to live on uh, Lawndale and Potomac. Look at your neighbor and say the hood. Okay, yeah, we were up in the hood, and it was all good, okay? House got broken into three times, cars stolen twice, rocks thrown at my window once, had to call the police gang fight in front of my house. I was in the hood, Amen. Brick thrown at a car, dented the guy's car I was coming home with. It's like, Pastor, I ain't taking you home no more. I don't know what to say, man. Boys on the block. It's hot. Okay. So, so we live in this community, but we need, uh, you know, to kind of spread out our wings. So we moved it on up to Harwood Heights. Finally got up. Oh, I'm sorry. We got happy when we left. Uh, but anyways... When we got there, we find out now I'm in my hood, the Polish hood. You know, they're like, Yakshamash, what's going on? Spawn and bogan, back to you, baby. That's my hood, my hente. So we up in Lawndale in Potomac, and we got to move to Lawndale. God's expanding us, want a backyard, all these good things. Now here you understand the story. The SUM dorm students move into that place. And they start going out into the community, telling people about Jesus, like sharing their faith. Well, one of them is at a barber shop. And Tiro is the man who cuts his hair. And one night, he's up at night crying and weeping, and he's saying to God, God, give me one more chance to do this thing right before I die, and I'll serve you. He was at the end of his rope. That next day, Chris came to the barber shop and said, God told me to tell you. Jesus says he's going to give you one more chance to serve him. And if you're serious about that, come to church with me. Come on, somebody. Let's get excited. It's okay. You're in church, but it's fun. 
So my boy comes, gives his heart to Jesus in one of our services. Holy Ghost party erupts. You know they were getting down. You know what I'm saying? Then he goes back to Abraham, the man who owns the the barbershop. He then shares with Abraham the story, tears coming down his eyes, sharing one dude to another. He's sharing the story about what God did. But here's the thing. He didn't know that Abraham had used to go to church as a child, but he himself was out doing bad stuff, knowing he was a lost sheep. So as Tito is sharing with Abraham, tears begin to come down his eyes. He comes to church with him. Abraham and Tito get saved, and they come to church in a convertible with 22-inch rims, bring in their family come on I just had to throw in the convertible don't want to put you on the spot did you drive it today not today okay last week we were following them out there we're like look can we take a picture I was like wow man this guy goes to my church right here bum, 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 bum. I love Jesus okay so they're coming to church why because Chris Pillman that day getting his haircut said he's my one I want to reach out to one person and then one person reached out to one person that's reaching out to one person we talked about last week how we can preach the gospel to different people because Jesus has said this is what his purpose was look at what Jesus's purpose was look at the highlighted part verse 10 Luke 19 10 for the son of man came to seek and save the lost who is he speaking to that day Nick uh, excuse me Zacchaeus the man who climbed the sycamore tree just to see Jesus he was a sinner, but Jesus sat down with him and ate that day. And Zacchaeus gave away half of all of his money, turned away from his sin, and got saved. And Jesus told him, you want to know why I hang out with sinners? Do you want to know why I'm doing this for people? Because my purpose is to seek and save the lost. Verse 10, let's say on the count of three. One, two, three. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And what does that mean to us today? I began to show you how you can preach. Here's the first thing you have to do if you want to see somebody lost, saved, that's in your life. You've got to pray for them. Chris was praying for the barbershop that people would get saved. It wasn't an accident. So now we have to pray for our families. The way I look at prayer is how the military goes out and fights battles. Before the soldiers landed on Iwo Jima or on D-Day to the shores of Normandy, you know what they did? They sent out the bombers. They cleared the land. Then the foot soldiers come. We need to blow up the devil's work and then preach the gospel. Some people are hard in their heart. They can't see. They're blind. So in our prayers, we can ask that they would see themselves the way God does, that they wouldn't try to justify their sin or that they wouldn't be offended by the message we pray for them God open their heart open their eyes because otherwise it's just words it just sounds like a sales pitch come to my church come to my church let's go to church no but if we pray if we drop the bomb of the Holy Ghost on them just one invitation to a brother is everything he needed to hear why because the prayers were already going out the second thing seek opportunities with the lost here, Chris, using the opportunity of getting his haircut. What a simple thing, turning getting your haircut to talking about Jesus. How about ladies turning their nails and getting their hair did to talking about Jesus? How about guys who go to sports activities turning it to talk about Jesus? We looked at the woman at the well. Jesus saw a woman. She was getting water. He turned it to talk about himself. He said, I'm the water of life. You come here because you're thirsty, but come to me and you'll have eternal life. Think about the times that you're with people. What are they saying? Listen to their words. The Bible says from the heart, the mouth speaks. If you listen to people's words, you'll always find an opportunity to begin to share with them about Jesus. Find that opportunity. The third thing is when you start to preach to them, let the first thing be your testimony. It's not King James language of Deuteronomy chapter 8, and thou shalt bringeth a lamb before the altareth of God, and thou shalt slay it there and apply the blood to the temple post. And thou shalt sanctify it the place. No, when you hear that opportunity come your way, the first thing you can do is just start to tell your testimony. So, for example, I hear somebody, uh, my neighbor, he says, well, you know, uh, I'm kind of busy on Sundays because, you know, I'm a hockey coach, and that's one of the days we have the rink all to ourselves. I'm like, man, I used to play sports all the time, you know, and then I got into drugs, and because of drugs, I was a high school dropout. You see, I just made a bridge, just a segue. He was talking about sports. I said I used to play them. 
But then I dropped out of school because I did drugs. But Jesus saved me. And you know what? I found out in my life that Jesus is more important than sports. And I'm glad you teach that and help kids to do that. But you know what? Maybe you need to put God before that. See, it's finding an opportunity and then sharing your testimony because I know that sports alone can't satisfy. You can do that with anything, your job, finding that opportunity, then sharing your testimony. And then number four, you do have to preach, and everybody needs to preach the gospel. You might say, Pastor, well, you're paid to preach. I'm paid to preach today. That's right. But I'm not paid to preach on your job, where you live, on your community. That's what you're sent out to do. You see, I don't work your job. I don't have your friends. If they were my friends, I would be preaching to them. Are you following me? Some of you have friends that the moment I would walk up, they would turn away from me. They would say, you look weird. You're spiky-haired. You're not the type of person I would hang out with. You know what I'm talking about. I have to try hard to get it to look like this on Sunday. All the other days, beer growing out, spikes in the wrong direction. Okay, sometimes smell, I don't know, going too far, TMI. But there are some of you that have friends that I could never talk to. But God placed you there. And when you start to talk to them about the word of God, here's the message. Grace and truth. Grace is that Jesus loves them. They might say, well, I'm a homosexual. I'm dealing with these inward feelings and thoughts. I was born this way. That's okay. Jesus loves you. Well, I'm an alcoholic and I struggle with this. Jesus loves you. Well, it's been a long time since I've been to church. That's okay. Jesus loves you. Grace says you can be forgiven. Grace says God loves you. And you begin to tell them that God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life how many can do something like that and then what do you say next the truth you say grace and truth but the truth is if you don't repent you will suffer for eternity in hell the truth is you have to come to jesus and live the life of a disciple the truth is unless you turn from your wicked ways on the day of judgment all of your wicked ways your secret heart and your secret thoughts will be brought before god so there's grace for forgiveness and love and a new life but the truth is he's the only way and you need to accept him today Aora. in jesus name amen and then lastly, you invite them to know Jesus. You can share with them the simple way to invite somebody to know Jesus. How do you do that? I'm so glad that somebody taught my mother how to do that because it was at the kitchen table that I got saved. Wasn't at a church. Wasn't with a good, handsome, good-looking pastor preaching to me real loud, but that, you know, that kind of funny. You know, wasn't that. It was at the kitchen table. And you know what? Somebody taught my mom how to invite somebody to Jesus. So when I said to her, what do I have to do? She said, pray with me. And the Bible teaches that if you confess with your heart, or confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. And then if you repent of your sins, he will hear your prayer and forgive you. So right at the kitchen table, my mom prayed a simple prayer, and she taught me how to pray it with her. She said, Joe, just say this, Jesus. And I said, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my heart. I'm a sinner. She walked me through the whole prayer. And you know what? At the kitchen table, I got saved. And then my dad came home. And kneeling down at the living room couch, demons cast out and filled with the Holy Ghost. We had church up in that house because a mom and dad knew how to pray, seek opportunities, share their testimony, preach the gospel of grace and truth, and invite me to know Jesus. Each one of you can do that with your family and your friends wherever you go. Can you say amen? Amen. Now today's message, that was the introduction. Look at your neighbor and say, it's second service, baby. Come on, we going into overdrive, overtime here. John 14, 1 through 7. Today's message now, today how we're going to look at the one is that there's only one way. You live in a world today that teaches you there's many ways to heaven. There's many roads that can lead to heaven. And I want to help you to understand that Jesus taught there is only one way. If you're in John chapter 14, can you say, I'm there? If you're not, say, hold up. I'm going to wait for a few of you and tell you a story as we're waiting there. If I today told you something, a lie that was not true, but it was a good lie and it made you feel good, would you want me to lie to you? Even if the lie was good, would you want me to tell it to you? What if I came to you right now and I told you the most wonderful lie, the most elaborate lie, and it was still a lie, but it made you feel good and made you just love yourself and feel better? Would you still want that lie? No, because it's a lie. 
I want to tell you something today. Other religions may make you feel good. Psychics may tell you things that you like. Your horoscope may make you feel better. All of these things in your life, you may see uh, meditating, yoga, these types of things may make you feel good. But at the end of the day, it's still a lie. Now, let me tell you something. If somebody told you the truth, and even though it hurt, would you rather have that than a lie that made you feel good? Would you rather have the truth, even though it hurt, if it was in comparison to a lie that made you feel good? I think about the time my sister died drinking and driving, and we had to receive that phone call from the police. You know, that policeman could have said on the phone, well, I don't want to ruin the woman's day. I know she'll be upset, and I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. So I'm just going to tell her that her daughter won an all-expects trip paid, uh, a trip paid to, to Hawaii, and that's why she won't be seeing her for a while. And how many know that if my mom heard that, there might be a good feeling. Oh, my, my daughter won that. Oh, I won't see her for a while because she's over there. But how many know that once it was found out that my sister had really died and that it was really an accident, a tragic accident, and she died, how many know that my mom would be mad at the person that told her a lie, even though it made her feel good at one time? And yet there's people going around telling you, well, you can go to heaven this way. You can go to heaven this way. You can be an adultery and go to heaven. You can have sex before marriage, be an alcoholic. You can do all of this and go to heaven. You can pray five times towards Mecca and be a Muslim and go to heaven. And, and, and everybody thinks that's such a good message. But you know what's going to happen on Judgment Day? We're going to see those people go to hell. And they're going to say back to us, why didn't you tell me the truth? Well, I didn't want to offend you because you were my coworker and you wore the hijab. And I just thought that I would tell you that we both serve the same God and that you were going to heaven just like me. No, you lied to me. The truth, even though it hurts, is better than a lie that makes you feel good. If you know that to be true, say amen. Come on, I'm preaching it tight and right. If it's T-I-S, it means it's as it is, baby. God's got something to tell you right now. Here it is, Jesus, John 14, 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go in to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. That where I'm going, you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. So here Jesus is saying to the people, he's going, guys, I'm going to go away and I'm going to get some mansions. And where I am, you're going to come. And all you got to do is go the way that I taught you. Here's in the Bible where Jesus actually talks about mansions. You've heard of this before, mansions, mansions. The mansions are in heaven. Now let me tell you why this is so significant, what's going on here. In the Old Testament time, the people believed that Jesus, when he came as the Messiah, that he would come as a conquering king as David came and, and conquered the land. They literally believed that heaven would come to earth, and so they wanted the battle of Armageddon to happen in their time. Now let me tell you, that might have been good for them, but guess how many people would be on the new earth ruling and reigning with Jesus right now? About a million Jews. Amen? So if the trumpet would have sounded, okay guys, we're taking the world over. It's all us now. There would be just like a million people on the whole planet. Are you all figuring this out with me? It would be like, hey Bartholomew, Bartholomew, Bartho it's me, Peter, Peter, come to my house. You, you get it? It would not be very cool. So God said he's going to have a church age. Look at me and say, church age. That means we had to get saved. That means more people had to hear the gospel. So what he's telling them is that in the meantime, while you're here on this planet, I'm going to be up there in heaven preparing a place. And when you die, you're going to go up there to be with me because people are going to keep preaching and preaching and preaching. And then one day, ba -ba -da -ba, we're going to come down and rule and reign with Jesus. And you want to know how many there are right now? There's 500 million that speak in tongues, believe in the Holy Ghost, and another 500 million that believe in Jesus the way we do. That's 1 billion people today just on this earth. If it came down to be heaven on earth, there would be a billion here in the new kingdom. Can you say amen? The type of church you're a part of right now is the fastest growing church in the world. We grow eight times faster than the rate of birth. That means when one baby is born into the, the earthly realm, there is eight more that are born into a spiritual realm speaking in other tongues. That's what I call the fuego de Dios. The fire of God. 
Right now in China alone, there's almost 100 million Christians believing in Jesus Christ, speaking in other tongues. In Africa, in India, they're experiencing revival. And come on, America, let's come and get some for us as, as well. Amen? Because as I'm talking about this, you know what's coming to America? is all the false religions that we're kicking out of these nations. You'll see that in just a moment. So he says to them, guys, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to prepare a place, and then you're going to be there with me, and then we'll come and rule and reign on the earth. Now look at Thomas, verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Now you understand his confusion. He thought the Lord was going to set up an earthly kingdom here. So he says, if you go away from me here, how do I know where you are, and how can I find you? Does anybody have heaven's cell phone number? How about their email or Twitter? Does anybody know where heaven is? Like you can just like take a horse and walk up the steps and arrive there. I'm on heaven's doorstep. Can you do that right now? So that's what Thomas was saying. He said, I don't know the way, and I don't know where you're going because he was missing the point. He was missing the point that Jesus was saying. Jesus said, I'm going to heaven, and I'm going to get ready for you all there, and then we're going to come rule and reign. Now look at what he says. Look, start in verse 5 again. Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Everybody say, Jesus is the way. Say, he's the truth. And say, he's the life. Come on, thank you. Look at these words here in the Greek as we break it down for you. The way in the Greek is hodos. Everybody say hodos. Hodos in the Greek means the road or pathway. Jesus was saying, I am the only pathway to heaven. You cannot go another way. I am, Jesus speaking, he said, I am the only road to heaven. There are not many roads to heaven. There aren't many paths to heaven. Hodos, I'm the only way. That's what he said. Number two, everybody say aletheia. Thank you. The word truth in the Greek is aletheia, and what it means is divine reality. You live today in a naturalistic material world that is of matter, space, and time. Look at it. You're in matter. You are taking up a space, and you're here at a time. This is a naturalistic world. You interact in this naturalistic world with your five senses, what you touch, taste, see, smell, and hear. You have that as your reality with your conscious and your mind. You are here. Now we understand that there is a God, a divine reality beyond this reality, metaphysically speaking, not of this physical world but meta beyond this world in that reality there are spirits and there are spiritual beings there there is only one God a divine reality and when you get there you will see that reality is Jesus Christ he is the only reality outside of this world and he has penetrated into this world he was not born the first time in a manger he has existed for all eternity because he's equal with the father he just put on an earth suit like you would put on a space suit to go to the moon he put on an earth suit to walk with you to be born among us so that we could see the son of God and that he could die for us so that we would know how to be with him forever and he said when you saw me you saw the father he's the only divine reality I don't care what Buddha Krishna or any of them said they are a lie they are not a divine reality and once they stepped out of this matter space and time the first thing Muhammad did was bow his knee kiss the feet of Jesus and declare him the way the truth and the life to the glory of the father there's only one divine reality outside of this that controls why we're here and his name is Jesus the second thing that he's, a third thing is Zoe. Everybody say Zoe. He said, I'm the way, the pathway, the roadway to the Father. He said, I am the only divine reality to the Father. And lastly, he said, I am the only one that has indestructible life. Every person may on this earth benefits you in some way. You might find some diet guru that helps you lose weight. You might be able to meditate and walk on rice paper. You may find yourself up in the Himalayan mountains with Buddhist monks and learning to fight like Batman in Kung Fu with Liam Nielsen. Are you listening to me? But I'll tell you, when you have lost your breath, there is no U-Haul following your hearse. Naked you came, naked you leave, and then you will find out there is a heaven and a hell and if you do not have Jesus Christ you will not have indestructible life but you will have indestructible death for eternity in the lake of fire 
Everybody lives again after this life. Understand that, my friends. You will live again after this life. It just depends where you will be. Will you be in a resurrected body, ruling and reigning with Christ here, with indirect, indestructible life known as Zoe? Or will you be in the torment and torture of the lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. But is that what everybody says today? Of course not. Some may say religious pluralism. You didn't say it like you meant it. Let's say it again. Some may say religious pluralism. Did you know that your preacher can also teach? Look at your neighbor and say, he's going to go there now. You see, I didn't just come to say quick little isms and little, little puns and things to make you smile with my little poetry. I came up here to teach you something. See, you live in a world today that wants to isolate you and box you in and make you feel like you're the numb nut. You're the crazy fanatic because you say Jesus is the only way. You live in a world today that wants you to accept everybody else's religion as if you just went down to the shooter's buffet and that you're going to put a little Krishna with your Buddha with some Jesus on the side. And if you tell somebody he's the only one, they're going to look at you like you're crazy. They're going to say, how dare you? How dare you tell my family we're wrong? We've been Muslims for all of these years. How dare you tell the nation of China, those that many have served Buddha, how dare you? How dare you tell the Indian people? I want you all to listen to me right here. I'm not angry at anybody but the devil. Listen, and I love everybody, and I'm not here to be offensive to any religion of the people that practice those religions. But I'll tell you something. If you say 2 plus 2 is 5, I can't tell you a lie and say, yes, it is. I love you too much to leave you that way. I've got to tell you you're wrong, and I've got to help you get right. So if you're ready to get right, somebody say, get right. Look at what? The Bible teaches, or excuse me, what the other religions teach in regards to their religions. Look at what Buddhism teaches. But uh, the Dalai Lama today, being the main speaker for the religion of Buddhism, he says, I'm a Buddhist. Therefore, Buddhism is the only truth for me, the only religion. To my Christian friend, Christianity is the only truth, the only religion. To my Muslim friend, Islam is the only truth, the only religion. In the meantime, I respect and admire my Christian friend and my Muslim friend. Is that what Jesus said? Do I respect them? Absolutely. Would I help them if they were hurting? Would I give them something to eat if they were starving? Would I welcome them in with my own family if I could trust them? Would I let them hold my children? Would I spend a day enjoying my hobbies and whatever I consider to be fun? Yes, but is that a true statement? No, it's not. And that is what today the world wants you to understand. They want you to believe this, that to you, Jesus is the truth. But to me, Buddha is the truth. And how can you judge the person that says, to me, Muhammad is the truth? There's just many truths that all lead to the same direction. Look at what Hinduism teaches from the Vedic hymn. A simple sentence says it all. Truth is one, though the sages know it variously. Truth is one. Though the sages know it variously. What was a Hindu sage? Krishna, gurus, Buddha. All of these people in their mind would be sages. So the truth is one. It's just everybody has a different way of saying it. Moving on to Islam. I have a book on Islam that you can purchase or read for free online. So this is not naively speaking. This is from studying and knowing their history and also their own writings. And I got it out of their holy book, the Quran, Surah 29, verse 46. And dispute not. With the people of the book. Everybody say Al-Kitab. Arabic for people of the book is Al-Kitab. When Islam started, it was 600 years after Christianity. Muhammad saw, thought that he saw a vision of the angel Gabriel and then began to recite what these things became as known as the Quran. Out of the 27 major prophets in Islam, 20, 24 of them are already mentioned in the Bible. It is a hijacking of our religion. Many of you don't even understand places that used to be Christian. If I put up a, a map of the Bible times and where Paul and them preached, you would see as I changed it to the modern times, it's all now the Middle East. Turkey is where Galatians and Ephesians was written, now a Muslim nation. Iran and Iraq is was what they called the Asian Peninsula of that time. And it was all where the churches were founded. This was all Christianity before Islam came and took it over, which led to the holy wars of that time. Are you listening to me? 
You can be duped into believing whatever CNN tells you, but I'm telling you what is historical and what is true according to the Bible, even their own book. When Muhammad first started in the place of Mecca, which is now the capital of their religion, bowing down to the Kaaba, which is the black box they pray to five times a day, and there's 1.2 billion of this planet that do, they were first in a little city called Medina. And while they were in Medina, the people began to follow them. But as they began to go to Mecca, this place gave them resistance. And while they were there, they noticed that the Christians and Jews, numbering with the new Muslims, could now take over the pagans. And so they had a strategy like the Trojan horse to pretend to be one thing but yet uncovered to be another thing. And during this time, they began to say to the Christians, the people, Al-Kitab, people of the book, they said, look, between you and I, we shouldn't argue. It says, we believe in the revelation which came down to us, and we believe in the revelation that came down to you. Our God and your God is one, and it is to him that we bow. So how did they start the conversation to make these new friends so that they could live in Mecca? They began to say, hey! We believe the Bible. We believe Genesis. We believe Exodus. We believe these people. Now believe our book, the Quran. We believe Moses was a prophet. Now believe Muhammad was a prophet. Are you all listening? Read it again. We believe in the revelation which has come down to us and that which has come down to you. Look at the Baha'i faith, which has come in the last 150 years out of the nation of Iran, very similar to Islam. The only difference, they add on another prophet. You'll hear of him now. God's word is revealed through a series of messengers, Abraham, Krishna. Look how they put it right there. Moses, Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, and here's their founder, Baha'u'llah. Baha'u'llah is their founder, and so accept him. So Muhammad came to the Christians and said, Christians, we have all the prophets you have except for Muhammad. Why don't you accept him? And then the Baha'is come along and say, to the Muslims, we have all the prophets you have. Now accept our prophet. And look at what they say. These principles and laws, these firmly established and mighty systems have proceeded from one source and are the rays of one light. Can somebody say the devil's a liar? What did Jesus say? Come on. Did Jesus say I'm one source of many? Did he say I'm the truth and there's other truths? Did he say I'm sharing it with others? Jesus said I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You cannot say a statement like that and remain the same. You have to make a decision today. Is there many ways or is there one way? Do you stand with Jesus Christ or are you going to fall into religious pluralism? In our last scripture today, I want you to look with me to John chapter 10, verse 7, because I want you to see what Jesus said about these other religions and claims that people have made. John chapter 10, verse 7. As you're turning there, I want you to ask yourself this last question uh, as we're thinking about this today. If Jesus wasn't the way, if he wasn't the truth, if he wasn't the life, then he was a liar, wasn't he? Because he sure said he was. So C.S. Lewis put up what we call the tri-dilemma, which is three options you have with Jesus. You don't have any more. Listen to what this is. Write this down so you don't forget. Number one, Jesus is either a lunatic because he did not know what he was saying, and he was crazy like the man on the bus who says that he's a Martian. Jesus could have been a lunatic walking around going, you know, I'm the way, I'm the truth, you're smoking weed, and I'm the life. Or second, he could have been a liar. This is somebody who knows they're deceiving people. They know that when they're talking to you, they're not who they say they are. But with cunning words and, and argumentation, they try to trick you into believing something that is a lie. Did Jesus know he wasn't the way? Did he know he wasn't the truth? And did he know he wasn't the life, but he wanted to trick his disciples? Was Jesus a lunatic? Was he a liar? Or what is the last and third option? Was he the Lord of glory? You see, my friends today, Islam, Baha'is, the Muslims, and, and, and Hare Krishna, and the Buddhas, uh, Buddhas, and the Buddhists want to say that Jesus was just one among many. If that was true, he was a liar and a lunatic because he sure said he was the only one. He's either the Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. If you notice one thing about Jesus is that you're about ready to read right here is that everybody wants Jesus on their team. They say that Jesus is a good prophet in Islam. 
in Buddhism, they say that he's one of the enlightened ones. And in Hinduism, they say that he is an avatar, an incarnation of Krishna. And in the Baha'is, they say he is a prophet. Yet Jesus despises all of what they say and doesn't want any of them on his team. He singularity singles out himself and says, I'm the only one. Does that make him self-centered and diabolical or does that make him the Lord of glory true to his own throne and to his own glory? If you walked up to me and said, hey, I am Joe, and then somebody else said, I am Joe, would it be wrong for me to stand up and say, hey, there's no other Joe but me? You have to understand Jesus is fighting against false prophets and false systems of belief. Look at John chapter 10, verse 7. This is your Palms Day Sunday message, by the way. If you're excited, can you say Amen. Therefore Jesus said unto them, Verily, truly, I say to you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. Did Buddha come before Jesus? Yes. Did the Hindu faith come before Jesus in that sense of teaching? Yes. Did these different people of the, uh, the Roman gods and pagan religions, Hercules, Zeus, these God-men stories, did they come before Jesus? In the sense of teaching people, yes, they did. They were around before he took on flesh and came. But what does he call them? He calls them thieves and robbers. You might look at another religion and you might just say, well, that's just their own belief. I'm going to tell you what they are, thieves and robbers. You might say to yourself, Pastor, you're being mean to people. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about the beliefs that false prophets and false religions teach. They are thieves and liars taking your soul. And the Bible says here that the sheep did not listen to them. After the Maccabees, during the time between your book of Malachi to the New Testament book of Matthew, there was a 400-year time period called the intertestamental time. For those 400 years, the Jewish people were purged of their idolatry from worshiping Baal and worshiping the gods of other nations during that time they turned to Jesus and they said a turn to the God of the Bible and said another follow another teacher we will not follow and Jesus says hey guys all those people who have been trying to get your attention those eastern philosophies Confucius was before Jesus are you guys listening Jesus said to them they were thieves they were robbers now look at verse 9 I am the gate whoever enters through me will be saved now ask yourself, is he lying? Is he a liar? Does that mean he knows he's not a gate and he's calling himself a gate? What does that make somebody who tells lies? What do we call them? Or is he a lunatic? I'm a gate. Well, I'm a blueberry. Well, I'm a muffin. Is he a lunatic? Is he walking around crazy and mad, insane, calling himself a gate and that if you follow him, he'll be saved? You'll be saved? Or is he the Lord of glory? Liar, lunatic, or Lord, you decide today. He says here, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Every time you hear this scripture, you think of yourself about the devil. And then sometimes you just think, well, the devil's a thief. He's a thief. But what does the devil use in this context to get people to go another direction? False religion. False religion will steal your soul. False religion will kill the purpose of God in your life. False religion will destroy you in the end. There is no way to God through Buddha. There is no way to God through Muhammad. There is no way to God through Hare Krishna. These are robbers and they are thieves. And in the end, they are on the agent assignment of the devil. And through their teachings and their words will steal from you what you have, kill what you have, and destroy you. That's what Jesus said. Look at your neighbor and say, that's what he said. Oh, it's getting quiet. Look at your neighbor and mean it and say, that's what he said. Come on, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Once again, he called himself the good shepherd. Where did you hear that before? Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. The God of Israel is my shepherd. That's what it said in Psalms 23. Do you know that David said that about the God of the universe a thousand years before Jesus lived? And now he stands in front of them and he says, I am that good shepherd. 
He claimed to be the shepherd of Psalms 23 that is all God-encompassing of all glory and power. He stands in front of his people and he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, my friends, is he a lunatic? Is he a liar? Or is he who he said he is? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Excuse me, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not care for the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock, scatters. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Do you know on judgment day, none of those religions will save you from the wrath of God? They will run themselves from the wrath of God. On the day of Armageddon, it doesn't matter how many emblems from Hinduism you hold up. It doesn't matter how many Greek mythologies you believe in. It doesn't matter how many stargazing astrology things you have. On that day, those people will run away from you, and you yourself will stand before God. You can only be saved through Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd, and what distinguishes him between all the other people on the buffet he laid down his life for you and on the third day he rose again he is the way he is the truth and he is the life no one comes to the father except through him lastly today I want to encourage you with three things of how today you can proclaim the uniqueness of Jesus in a time of religious pluralism. Number one, talk about Jesus from before the incarnation. John 1.1 1, 1 says that before Jesus was incarnated in the flesh, he was always God in the spirit before all creation. Before this world was ever created, guess who was there, y'all? Say his name, Jesus. Before angels were created, guess who was there? Jesus. Before the devil acted like a punk and got kicked out of heaven. And let me just tell you this, those of you scared of the devil and all this, there wasn't no wrestling match with God and the devil in heaven. The Bible said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Do you know how fast lightning goes? It's over, baby. It wasn't even a fight. Jesus said, get out of here in my name. Boom, and he was out of there. Talk about the devil. The devil has no power and authority. Jesus says, has all the power and authority since the cross. Talk about Jesus. He wasn't a man coming here to give you fortune cookies so you could walk on rice paper, shave your head bald, and do some karate. He came here because he was the creator of his own universe, stepped into it, and said, I will lay down my life for you. The Bible says he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, before you ever even had a world to live in, before you ever even knew what a sin was, and before you ever committed it, Jesus already said, I'll take their punishment. I'll take their place. Before all of it ever started, he said, I'll be their savior. Talk about Jesus. He's not just a man. He is the God man. Number two, share the message of the cross. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 talks about what Jesus did on the cross was disarm all of the powers of this world. Let me tell you what the devil does. Everybody look up at me. I don't know about you, but you might have been like me hanging around teenagers and young adults. I was one. We were all one. But you might have seen this once or twice. You ever seen somebody while they're, you know, your friends are waiting in line and, and all of a sudden one of your friends kind of ducks around, slaps the person's head in front of you and then moves away and makes you think that they you know want you to think that you did it how many of you used to do that come on let's keep it real Psh, he did it let me tell you what the devil does the devil brings destruction the devil brings sickness the devil brings disease the devil brings poverty the devil brought all of this slaps mankind and says god did it oh god did it god did what happened in japan god did this to your family god did it it's his fault I want to tell you what Jesus did. Jesus saw what the devil did to us in the Garden of Eden, which lashed upon us sin, sorrows, and death. He saw that, said, I'll lay down my life on the cross. The Bible says he took all of our sins. He took all of our sicknesses. He took all of our sorrows. And one day when the trumpet sounds, he will squash death forever and give us indestructible life. On the cross, he disarmed every power that Satan had over you and I. And the only reason why Satan ever had power over us is because God, when he created us, gave us a choice, good and evil. And when man chose evil, the devil pimped our nation, pimped this world with sin and destruction. And then now he said, God did it. 
when you think of Easter and the presentation we're giving you next week, you remember what God did do. God created you good and perfect and holy. God then, after he saw you mess up in sin and the devil get dominion over this earth, he sent his only son to die upon a cross so that your punishment would be imputed to him. Reconciliation means to be made at peace with God through Jesus Christ. You know what religion teaches? Let me tell you what all the other religions have in common. They all have it in common. This is what they say. Looking at the Sistine Chapel of, of the Michelangelo painting of God reaching his hand towards Adam after he sinned, there is a gap that they cannot touch. Religion tells man what to do to touch God. But it's never enough. No matter how much you pray, it's never enough. No matter how much you fast, it's never enough. No matter how much you meditate, it's never enough. Christianity says what God did to touch man, and it was through the blood of Jesus Christ. Religion tells you what to do. God says, Christianity says what God did. You can't do enough good works, friends. I don't care what Islam teaches you. You can't do enough good works. The only way to be reconciled with the God of this world is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And when he spread out his arms, he put one hand to the glory of God and the other one into the gutter of lost mankind. And he brought it together by his blood. And number three, affirm the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 22 through 28. Can I help you? Buddha is in a grave and his body is rotting there right now. So is Muhammad's. So is Baha'u'llah of the Baha'is. But I want to tell you something. They went looking for Jesus' body on the third day, but it wasn't there. They said he has risen. He then appeared to 500 disciples, told them to preach the gospel, ascended to heaven, looked back down and said, I'll be back. If you believe in that, Jesus would you stand to your feet and give the king of kings the lord of lords a great big hand clap of praise hallelujah Woo! death could not hold him down he is the king of kings he is the lord of lords affirm who Jesus is he is the way he is the only path and roadway to God the father he is the only divine reality he is the only thing that will bring substance to your soul and he is the only life the indestructible power on the inside of you band would you come please today you have a decision to make will you serve the king of glory or will you serve something else People went today and got palms. That's awesome. God bless the people who did that. I'm glad they didn't just smoke weed today. I'm glad somebody went to church. But I want you to hear me. A palm in your hand will do you nothing when you walk out this door. It's no different than a palm you find on the ground. But I'll tell you what will change your life when you walk out these doors. Is if you know Jesus. If you know Jesus. Jesus. The name. It is above every other name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. He's not a liar. He's not a lunatic. He is Lord. And he loves you. And he gave his life for you. No amount of philosophy can do that. No amount of religion can do that. And I know some of you are saying to yourself today, well, pastor, why are you shouting at us? We already knew that. I'm telling you why I'm shouting. Because I want to say it again. I want the whole world to know who he is. We live in a world where we're supposed to be ashamed of Christianity and go into the closet while everybody with their perverted nature comes out the closet. We have to hear about everything on the news. Everything's allowed in our schools. They can talk about whatever they want on, on their jobs. They can put Easter bunnies into the malls. But no, 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 no. Don't, don't have the cross in the mall. Can't have the, you, you, no, you're going to offend somebody. There's too many different ways to God. They're all the same. Why, why are we going to choose one or the other? No, no, you, you, you can't let your children hear about that on public school. Do you know what the first public schools in this nation were in church houses? Because churches only use it on Sunday. And the first books they read were the Bible. And all the little reading and writing wasn't about Jack and Jill. Moses went up to the mountain. Find, find the noun. Find the verb. 
Look on your dollar bill. In God we trust. And now our young people are taught if you don't believe what everybody else believes, you're intolerant. Why did I preach it today? Because I want people to know who God is. When you come next week and we talk about the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus, this is not Braveheart. This is not Mel Gibson in the Patriot. This is the unique God-man. There is no one like Him. You can go see Thor, the God of Thunder. There's no one like Him. You can go watch Avatar. You can be razzled and dazzled by Star Wars and the Force, but there's no one like Him. And we're told that we're the crazy ones. That we're the fanatics. Do you know right now in nations like China, you want to know why there's 50 million speaking and there's only 30 million in America. Do you want to know why there's that many in China right now? It's because they were taught under another system. See, we were taught in this system that rights, inalienable rights, came from God, our Creator. They were taught there was no God, that there's just a force, an energy, and that man government, what he does for himself here, is what is the best thing. That's all there is. And communism is building a community. And when our missionaries began to go over there and teach Jesus... It set that nation on fire because they knew something was missing. Do you want to know why right now? Listen to me. I have one pastor, one pastor in India that oversees 60 of our churches with 30 pastors, and he's only been doing it for a few years. Do you want to know why we already have a couple thousand believers just in India? Some of you haven't been to India. I've been there twice. Let me tell you what it's like. The moment you step off the plane, every God imaginable is plastered over their airport. Every taxi you get into, God's hanging down from the rearview mirrors, paintings all over their vehicles, the dots on their heads, the smell of ashes from the car. We actually saw, excuse me, we actually had people come to the car. You know how people hop here and try to ask for money? People come to the car with the incantations, with the, with the smoke from the temple, with their beads. And when you give them a donation, they blow, they blow their incense into your car to bless you for your day. Do you want to know why India is seeing a revival of Christianity? It's because there's something about Jesus. They have over a thousand different deities they worship. You saw Ganesh, he's the elephant man, there's the monkey man. I mean, they have statues that are as tall as our, our, our Statue of Liberty, literally, of these gods. And you know why Jesus is winning a nation? It's because there's something about him that they know is different. The cross, he took their sins. Karma teaches them that they're going to be reincarnated. See, some people think that's neat. I'm going to be reincarnated. You don't understand karma. You will be reincarnated as an ant until you get it right. You will go through life being tortured. That's why when they see the, the poor in the main, they don't want to reach out because they say these people are suffering for their sins in a past life. Now, why am I saying that? Do you want to know why your friends right now look at horoscopes? Do you want to know why your friends right now will pick up a Buddhist book and read the sayings quicker than the Bible? Do you want to, want, want to know why Brad Pitt, and you look at his wrist and you see those, those wooden beads around their, their bracelets, you see these movie stars with these wood, those are Hindu prayer beads. Do you know why they'll do that and look at you crazy? It's because Jesus is not great to them anymore. Jesus has gotten in their way of trying to find their happiness. Because when Jesus said he's the way, it's not your way anymore. You can go these guys' way and do whatever way. Buddha doesn't care. Gay, straight, drink. I mean, that stuff may prevent you, but it don't matter. You can go whatever way you want. Truth don't matter. You can believe whatever you want. See, Jesus says, no, 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 no. You come my way, it's not your way. You believe my truth, it's not what you think anymore. It's what I say. And it's not your life. 
It's His. You don't get to pick where you live. You don't get to pick what car you drive. You don't get to pick who you marry. He says, you come to me, you deny yourself, you pick up your cross, and you follow me. And that's turning off people in our country. But Jesus said, if you lose your life, if you lose your life, he said, for my sake, you will find it. And he said, what good would it profit a man to gain the whole world? yet lose his soul. When Muhammad went out and did all that he did and he started winning the nations, he then lost his soul. What did it profit him? Nothing. Let's pray. Father, we come to the living God today, Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior. And we ask that today we would live for him and that we would proclaim who he is to this nation and to the nations of the world and that he would become great again. Jesus, would you become great again in this nation? We pray for the great name of Jesus to be lifted up. Have you ever wondered why they take our name, the name of our Lord and Savior in vain? Why don't they take Buddha's name in vain? Why don't they curse Krishna? If you even say Muhammad's name wrong, you'll die. Why is it they curse our Lord and Savior? Because the devil hates that name. Altar workers, would you come? We lift up that name here today. We take it out of the mouth of the blasphemers. We take it out of the mouth of the doubters. And we glorify it again. He's not a fairy tale. He's not a liar. He's not a lunatic. He's not one among many. He is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. And we lift up the name of Jesus. Just say his name as we begin to pray. Jesus. If you came here today with problems, Jesus is the answer. Come on, you just begin to pray wherever you are right now. If you need him today, just begin to lift up his name. We're just singing it out. Jesus. There is nobody like you. The name above every name. Jesus. Come on, if you need him today, call on him. We worship. We bow down to you. We proclaim your name. Let me pray. I want to teach everybody here how to pray now. If you're here today, even if this is your first time and you're accepting Jesus, we're going to teach you how to pray. Just like Tito and Abraham prayed, my mother taught me how to pray. It's so simple. And everybody here who's already a believer in Jesus, let's encourage them. Let us all say this prayer of declaration today on the count of three. One, two, three. Say this with me. Jesus, come into my life. I believe in you, that you are the Lord of all glory I believe you died on the cross for my sins and on the third day you rose and I believe you're coming back come into my heart now change my life and let your kingdom come let your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven if you believe it say amen and worship him hallelujah Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The band is going to begin to sing. We're going to dismiss in just a moment. Don't leave yet. But if you need prayer for anything, would you come forward right now as we sing? Come on, would you come? Let us pray for you. If you just said that prayer, we want to pray before you go with you. Don't be embarrassed. Come on. If you're sick in your body, we believe that Jesus is still the healer. If you're just dealing with something private, you can come up. We'll pray. We'll dismiss in just a moment. Come on, let's worship Him today. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of You, God. I want more of You, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, 
that I can't control. I want more of you. Amen. Come on, let's sing. No place. No place I'd rather be. No place I would rather be. Here with you, God. Come on, if you're not getting prayed for, can you sing this out today? Then here in your love. Here in your love. Jesus loves you. If you're still waiting, maybe you're embarrassed or shy. Ask someone to come with you. They'll walk with you. You're not here alone. Jesus loves you. Then here in your love. Come on, sing it again. No place I'd rather be. 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 Then here in your love. Here in your love. Set a fire in my heart. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. And I want more of you, God. And I want more of you, If you want more of Jesus, just let him know today. The Bible says you can be filled with the presence of God, overflowing like rivers flowing from your innermost being. One more time, start a fire. Start a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Come on, just the guitar. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. And I want more of you, God. I want more One more time. Oh, Jesus, do it. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. And I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Today, I just want you to hear what God said through his son, Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one can come to the Father except by Him. As we get ready to dismiss today, we are so thankful that you came. But more importantly, we pray that you come to Jesus and start a party in heaven. There is no one like Him. I'm going to pray that this week we could share with all of our friends, all of our family, and go get the one to bring back here next week so they can see the uniqueness of our Lord and Savior. Father, bless us this week. Bless us in the name of Jesus to grow closer to Him. May we have boldness to share with our friends the truth in grace and to invite them to come with our testimonies of what God has already done in us. And Lord, we pray that our families will be blessed and our community will turn to You and follow You. Lord, You are the Good Shepherd. You laid down Your life for us. And we accept that today. Our, our Savior is Jesus. Help us to get others. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Can you bless the Lord today one last time? Hallelujah. Amen. As the band sings, greet each other. Come up for